When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Scrutiny. Scrutiny is the, <clears throat> the nothing personal word of the day today. Scrutiny. Front office screen. There's nothing worse as I ponder watching the championship series in the National League and the American League. There's nothing worse when you're an executive of a team which has been eliminated. Either you, you have two choices, really. You either don't watch the playoffs and you put your head in the sand and you've been eliminated and you're despondent and you're taking a little vacation or you're getting ready for next year. You're figuring out what to do with your payroll, with your team, and you just don't pay attention. Or you pay attention and agonizingly watch as teams against which you compete are winning something that you can't win this year, that you haven't won before if you've never won, or that you haven't won again if you have won. And when you're watching the teams play, you invariably say the same thing. And I did this every year. Wait a minute. We're, we're way better than we have a better infield than that. Our starting pitching is better than theirs. And you play this game with yourself where you're convinced that the world conspired to eliminate your team <clears throat> and that it wasn't because of you or any failings in development or scouting or choosing players or trading players or signing players. It was simply some sort of kismet had gone wrong. I used to watch the playoffs every year before the Marlins won the World Series and after. Didn't matter. Watched them. And I would try to learn how to be better. Obviously, didn't work since we never made the playoffs again. I tried to understand what other teams were doing, what they were thinking. I would take notes and I would speak to executives at owners meetings after the playoffs and talk about different things with their team. But everyone hides everything like they're holding the secret formula to Coke or something. Coca-Cola. It sort of makes me crazy. I was always willing to say, yeah, here was our evaluation of this player. Here's the market that we thought for this player. Here's where we thought this player would be. Here's what we think this player should get paid. Here's why we fired the manager. I was happy to go through all of those things. I don't mind the scrutiny. I never minded the media scrutiny. I never minded the public scrutiny. I never minded the owner scrutiny. I never minded the fan scrutiny. I never minded the employee scrutiny. I, I just didn't. So I'm watching the Tampa Bay Rays play. And I'm thinking about how I used to engage with the Tampa Rays. <clears throat> I was thinking back to 2008 when they were last in the World Series. I think that's the year they lost to the Philadelphia Phillies in the World Series with uh, that big rain delay where they postponed a game. I, I'm, I think that's right. But what I remember clearly, because this was a story of my career, is I had this insane jealousy toward the Rays for how they were able to trade players at the exact right time, how they would not be seduced by names or seduced by past performance, how they were enthralled 
with analytics and future performance and predictive theories. And I think to myself, as executives are watching this Rays team play, and they have a 2 nothing lead right now over the Astros, I'm thinking that if you're JT Realmuto, as an example, or Marcus Stroman, or Trevor Bauer, the big-time free agents, I think you're thinking to yourself, God, am I screwed? Because how will an owner be convinced that he needs, I would say he or she needs, but they're all he's, that he needs, I could say he, she, or they, but it's just he's, as far as I know, although I've never done the cough test, that he needs a $30 million catcher. Who's catching for the Rays? Well, he hit a bomb last night. Mike Zanino, a throwaway from the Seattle Mariners, who, by the way, possess the longest playoff drought in baseball. How are you convinced that you need to spend $25 million on a starting pitcher? Let's take the Yankees as an example. The Yankees are home. They're not playing. They're done. Giancarlo Stanton had a great tweet that said, we'll be back. Felt like Tom Hanks. Wilson, wasn't that like Tom Hanks in Castaway? Right? I'll be back. I'll be right back, he said, when he was saying goodbye to his girlfriend, Helen Hunt. Of course, that was four years later. Of course, the Yankees will be back. They've got Garrett Cole signed to a $324 million contract. $324 million is more money than the Tampa Bay Rays have spent on their payroll in 2020, in 2019, in 2018, in 2017, and in 2016. Add up all five of those years, and that's a little over $300 million the Rays have spent. Yet their pitching staff is better than the Yankees' pitching staff. Their starters, whether it's Snell, whether it's Glasnow, whether it's Charlie Morton, they go toe-to-toe with Garrett Cole. Do you know that Charlie Morton only makes $15 million and he was their big free agent signing a two-year deal? How about Kevin Kiermeyer making $10 million? Two players on their team making eight figures or more. So as the president of baseball operations or president of a team, you walk into your owner and you go through the list of free agents. You talk about where your team's going to be. You talk about your payroll. And you say, you know what? We really want to go after Jose Reyes and Heath Bell and Mark Burley and Jared Saltalamacchia and John Buck. Oh, God. Just going over them again and again makes my head spin. And the owner would say to us, Why do we need to do that? Why don't you have the ability to build a team like Tampa? Why can't you identify better players through the draft, through free agency, through independent leagues, through trades? Why did the Tampa Bay Rays never lose a trade? One of their best players this year, they got Margot, hit a three-run homer last night, got him from the Padres. Actually, the game was in San Diego, funny enough. How about Randy Razuma? Trade with the Cardinals. Take a look at how they built their roster through the draft, 
trades. They don't lose a trade. On top of that, when they when we would find out that the Rays were in on somebody like an international signing, how do they get G-Man Choi, Coca? My guess is he was some sort of international sign, although that seems stereotypical, but wouldn't that be your best guess, Coca? I'd have to imagine. When I would ever get word that they were in on somebody, that would be very telling to me. Whenever I would get word that the Tampa Bay Rays were out on somebody, that would be telling to me. What I know right now is not one player in Major League Baseball who doesn't play for the Rays is not rooting for the Rays. Not one GM who doesn't work for the Rays is rooting for the Rays. Coke is telling me that the Brewers traded G-Man Choi for Brad Miller, but where did the Brewers get G-Man Choi? Just, I don't want to be wrong. Was he, I, I doubt he was a rule four pick, but he could have been. In any case, the reason why nobody is rooting for the Rays is because it makes you look bad. You have to go into a meeting with your owners, whether it's a single owner and ownership group, and you have to start explaining yourself. And no one wants to look bad when you are running a team. I'm thinking about Andrew Friedman, who is the president of baseball operations for the Dodgers. They're spending a fortune of money and they have zero rings. Now they have eight division championships, zero rings. They're not even as good as the 90, the 90s Braves who won all those titles in a row in the NL West and then the NL East and won one ring in 1995, considered to me a failed dynasty with only one ring. The Dodgers are a failed dynasty until they win multiple rings. Imagine if the Rays and the Dodgers make it to the World Series or the Dodgers lose, frankly, to the Braves. And Andrew Friedman has to watch Stu Sternberg, the owner of the Rays, Matt Silverman, the president, Brian Ald. They get the trophy. It's such a competitive sport. I was going position by position, actually, when I was watching the game. And I'm watching every at-bat. I'm watching the Rays approach. And I'm thinking to myself, in order to do what they do, there's something called, it was, uh, you know, this famous expression, the Cardinals way. They started this many years ago. We've spoken about it, nothing personal. John Moziliak the, took over for Walt Jockety and, they called it the Cardinals way. They have this big, thick book about how they do things in the St. Louis system. And then other teams started copying it. The Marlins now under Jeter have a Marlins way. Although that's the name of the street, 501 Marlins way. I wonder if they changed that. I wonder if Marlins Park is still on 501 Marlins way. They changed everything else. But there's now a Marlins way. There's the Yankees way. There's Every team has their book. I want to see the Rays book. And it never really occurred to me when we would hire people, Dan Jennings worked for the Rays when we had him, but that was really before the Rays became who they were. Not saying that Dan was the reason why they weren't who they were. He just had a different owner to deal with and a different organization to deal with. Mike Hill worked for the Rays when we had him as our general manager, president of baseball operations. But there's just something different about their evaluation process, and there's something different about the way their players are prepared. They don't give away an at-bat. They do the things, the fundamental things in baseball right. They play defense. They pitch well. Look at their bullpen. When Diego Castillo isn't available, they have, whether it's they go to Loop, whether they go to Nick Anderson, whether they go to Fairbanks, they just have depth, and it's 
inexpensive depth. And they don't get married to any of their players. Anyway, it's just been one of those days where I'm sitting there, I'm up late, I'm watching the games, and I'm thinking back, do you ever do this with your job or with the decision you make in your personal life or professional life? That there are moments you look back and you take stock. And you think to yourself, what exactly did I do right? What did I do wrong? What could I have done differently? And it was a tough game to watch. I'll admit it to you. I'll admit it, that I struggled. I'm struggling watching this Rays group because it just shows all of the different ways that I could have done a better job for the fans of South Florida, all the different ways that I could have shown more discipline, all the ways that I didn't need to go to Jeffrey Laurie, the owner, for extra money to get extra players because we could have done a better job in scouting, a better job in development. And it's not to say we didn't do well because look at all the great young players we had. We had Yelich, Stanton, Ozuna. We had, we had JT Realmuda. We had everybody before they got too expensive and too good. But for whatever reason, we could not put the team together right. It just never clicked properly. Even after 03, when we were chasing a ring and we got rid of only Pudge and Derek Lee, brought in Hesop Choi. And then in 05, we signed Carlos Delgado, brought in Al Leiter. We just didn't get the right combination. And it's not something that I look back and say, this one moment is what ruined it for South Florida and for Miami Marlins fans and Florida Marlins fans, because it was a collection of decisions. It was an avalanche of mistakes. And I don't know that it's fixable. So as the other executives are watching the Rays and they're jealous of the Rays and they're going to try to copy the Rays, the best part is they won't be able to be the Rays. And they take great pride in that over in Tampa. So I want to address one more thing about Tampa and its similarity to Miami. So we don't draw fans in Florida. The history of Florida baseball is that Bud Selig very much wanted to expand into Florida. Before the San Francisco Giants got their ballpark, which they privately funded in San Francisco with some public infrastructure help, et cetera, they had threatened to move the team to Tampa. They were going to move to Tampa. Bud always thought that Florida would be a great expansion market. So he got the ballpark done in Frisco and then did expansion in Miami and in Tampa. He had Wayne Huizinga, big, big, large pocket owner who had owned the Dolphins as well with the thought there'd be a new ballpark, which never happened under his watch or John Henry's. It needed Jeffrey Laurie to come in to get a ballpark and save the team forever. But the thought was with the Cuban population in Miami, the weather, the spring training, all of the factors would lead to successful Major League Baseball during the season because it's hugely successful during spring training. What Bud did not understand, and I don't know why, but didn't understand, the demographics in Florida during spring training are completely different than what is during the summer months. People come to Florida. They're called snowbirds. They come to Florida. They don't stay during the summer. Rich people in Florida don't stay in Florida during the summer. There's no one there, really, who's got money during the summer. There's not a big corporate base in Miami at all. Bigger in Tampa, but still not terrific. 
So both franchises have struggled greatly drawing fans. The Rays have been able to blame their lack of attendance on their ballpark location in St. Petersburg. When they were losing, they could blame it on losing and the ballpark location. When the Marlins had bad attendance, which has been always, we always blamed it on not winning and the ballpark location. Then we won and didn't draw, and we blamed it on ballpark location. Then we moved the ballpark to Miami and didn't win, so we blamed the attendance on not winning. I used to talk to our executives about the four quadrants to define success in your market. One is when you win and you have a new ballpark in the right location. That's one quadrant. One quadrant is when you don't win, but you're in the right location. One quadrant is when you win and you're in the wrong location. And one quadrant is when you don't win and you're in the wrong location. During the Marlins history and the Tampa Bay history, they have lived in three out of the four quadrants. They have never, either team has won while in the right location in the new ballpark. Since the Marlins moved to Marlins Park, it's the first year they've done anything since 2020. And there's no indication that they're having any sort of increase in fans, season ticket holders, blame it on COVID, blame it on what you want. All the changes that Jeter made to Marlins Park has not resulted in anything totally changed the diamond club and didn't get an an extra season ticket holder, got rid of the home run sculpture, added group sales seats, didn't sell anything. Tampa has tried to do things in the Thunderdome now called Tropicana field. They don't draw at all. They're trying to get a new ballpark. It hasn't worked. They're trying to move to Tampa. Hasn't worked. When you don't live in that one quadrant, you get to use an excuse and have a built-in excuse of why things aren't better. In my opinion, we will only be able to judge the Florida market when one of the teams ends up in the top quadrant, which is a winning team with a new ballpark in the right location. And until that happens, Florida is going to be a failure. That's off the field. On the field, two World Series championships for the Marlins. They've only been around 23 years. The Rays have been to a World Series already. And this year, they've got a damn good chance of winning one. Can you imagine? More games to come today. Okay, Coca, we got a good one today. Talk to me. You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. Yes, you do. Get into my Twitter. Get in my Twitter. (laughs) At David P. Sampson. If you want, get into the Instagram. Sometimes I post. I posted last night on Instagram. I went on CBS Sports HQ really, really late after the late game. Did a segment. And then I was going to bed and I took an Ambien. And I did an Ambien post on Instagram. I'll admit it. I don't know what happened. There's a general rule I have. When you take an Ambien, don't post. Period. It's an easy rule. I posted a picture of a group of friends. We travel to different sporting events around the world. We've done it every year since 2006. Started when they came to Hawaii to watch me do the Hawaii Ironman. 
And we've gone to a different sporting event every year after that, whether it's sumo wrestling in Fukuoka, Japan, the Macau Grand Prix, the Melbourne Cup horse race in Melbourne, Australia, something cool, something different. A Man U Liverpool game. Get this ready, Coca, for this segue. A Man U Liverpool game. So I posted a picture saying we have no trip this year. There's no events. Our passports might as well be toilet paper. I guess we could have gotten tickets to go see a World Series game at Globe Life Field. I guess that's an event we could go to. Maybe there's a ping pong championship. It's hard to imagine our streak of 15 trips is coming to an end. So the so you want to talk to Samson is when you get into the Twitter, get into the Instagram and ask a question and I'll get to it. Maybe. Here's the question. Can you explain what is happening with the Red Sox and will it impact their payroll? Are they going public? Can I now own the Red Sox? Now do you get the segue, Coca? The owner of the Red Sox is Fenway Sports Group, John Henry, Tom Werner. They also own, ready, wait for it, deep breath, yes, Liverpool. When I went to see Liverpool, it was owned by another baseball owner named Tom Hicks who went bankrupt. Now it's owned by John Henry. So we got a lot of news this weekend and yesterday about the Red Sox and what they're doing. I want to explain it. Billy Bean, the guy from Moneyball, Brad Pitt, in one of the great casting coups of all time. Billy Bean does not look like Brad Pitt. Billy Bean is the general manager of the Oakland A's. He's been there forever. He was in Moneyball. He was the cause of Moneyball. Moneyball's a crock of crap, by the way. Doesn't exist. It wasn't real, even when the A's were doing it. They had great pitching. They had an MVP in Miguel Tejada. They had a Cy Young Award winner. They had the rotation of Mulder, Hudson, and Zito. So they made a few trades for a bunch of guys who had good analytics. Give me a break. So Billy Bean has gotten himself involved in various projects through the years. He's gotten a little bored, I can imagine. So he got involved in something called a SPAC. A SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company, S-P-A-C. A special purpose acquisition company is a company that raises money for an as yet to be determined purchase. So Billy Bean got a group of people together. They raised a bunch of money and they said, hey, we're going to invest in sports properties. We don't know when, although it's got to be in 12 to 18 months after you get the money together. We don't know where. We don't know how. We don't know if it'll work. So give us your money. There are people who call SPACs blank check companies because basically people are just giving them money and they don't know what it's for. When you invest in the market, let me explain the difference between buying a share of stock in Amazon and investing in a SPAC, in a public SPAC. When you invest in Amazon, you're investing in a company, you know what they do. Today is Amazon Prime Day. For the next two days, everyone's ordering Amazon. Just get stuff. You have to participate, right? I, my name is David Sampson, and I'm addicted to Amazon Prime. Hi, David. How are you? I'm okay. What'd you buy today? Soap, detergent, sanitizer, makeup remover. I know I don't have makeup on right now, but 
back in the day before COVID, when we go in the studio, we'd wear makeup because they're lights. Oh, by the way, the light you see today that you don't see, I'm going to turn it off. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you're listening, then this means nothing to you. But here I go. Ready? Light off. Light on. Ooh, by the way, Tom Hanks. Wilson, do you recognize this? Wilson. Yes. Tom Hanks did this in Castaway. Light on, light off. Light on, light off. I'm doing it opposite. Every time I'm saying light off, the light's going on, by the way. Bought that on Amazon Prime. So when you invest in Amazon, you know what they do. When you invest in a SPAC, you have no idea what they're going to do. You don't know who's going to run the company that they're buying. When you buy Facebook, you're investing in Mark Zuckerberg and the people he trusts to help run Facebook. When you invest in a blue chip company, you understand. In SPACs, by definition, you don't. That's why they're called sometimes blank check companies. So Billy Bean is running a SPAC that's going to do a sports investment. And a rumor came out this weekend that the Red Sox and Liverpool, every asset owned by John Henry and Tom Warner, because they own a racing company. I was going to say Roush Racing, but I don't think that's what it is. Is it Fenway Sports Group? Is their overall group? Coca, do they own Roush or does Roush own Roush? I don't know. Find out and tell me. But I think they own racing. They own Liverpool Football Club and they own the Boston Red Sox. So there's a rumor that they are going to merge with this SPAC. What is amazing, they own 50% of Roush. Thank you, Coca. What's amazing about that is that Billy Bean will then own a company, not all of it because they're raising money publicly, but he'll be a principal in a company that will own the Red Sox. Well, he can't very well be the GM of the Oakland A's and run a company that runs the Red Sox. So word came out that Billy Bean is leaving the Oakland A's to focus on other pursuits like this. I wonder what Chaim Bloom is thinking right now, the chief baseball officer of the Red Sox, having Billy Bean as a potential boss. But Billy Bean was pretty clear to say that he's not going to join the Red Sox front office. At least that's what the rumors are. So why would John Henry and Tom Werner want to merge with Red Ball Acquisition Corp, this SPAC? The answer is, you know, say it with me, I'm three. Un, deux, trois, d'argent, D-apostrophe-A-R-G-N-T, money. When you get bought out or when you merge, there will be a payment that will go from the money that is raised into this SPAC to buy a percentage beneficial interest of Fenway Sports Group, which will then both pay off debt and make a distribution to its principals, of which John Henry and Tom Werner are two of them. Why would John Henry and Tom Werner want to take money off the table? COVID, market issues, estate planning, life issues, yacht problems, who knows? Picassos? Diversification? There are myriad reasons why people and owners want to divest when they own 100% of an asset. But the fact is that this is a perfect opportunity for John Henry to keep control of his team because there's no way in this merger that they're giving up control of operating their properties and take money off the table. Meanwhile, the SPAC 
then gets to actually run that asset. And their performance will be based on the performance of the Red Sox and Fenway Sports Group assets. It's a fascinating concept. So the answer is the Red Sox themselves are not going public. The answer is you cannot own the Red Sox directly, but you could buy shares in the SPAC. Good luck to you. I wouldn't do it. Impact on payroll? Nada. Because the money that Henry and Warner are going to get, they're going to take out. They're not going to reinvest it in payroll. I promise you that. That's a good question. I appreciate. So you want to talk to Samson. All right. When we come back, we are going to fly from pole to pole. And I don't mean it tootsies. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. You know, we watch a movie here every day, a TV show. We review it. We had the Samson sit down with the astronaut Terry Verts. We reviewed a bunch of space movies. I got a text from Terry saying that he's got a movie that he directed that just came out on iTunes. I bought it for $9.99. It's called One More Orbit, directed by Terry Verts, starring Terry Verts, about a project that Terry Verts led. It's not a space project. It's a Gulfstream 650 project. Do you know anyone who owns a Gulfstream 650? It's a really fast plane that can go a really long way. It's a private plane that can hold up to 15 people. What Terry Verts wanted to do was to set a world record by flying a Gulfstream 650, one orbit around the Earth, passing over both the North and the South Pole fascinating. The documentary is only 74 minutes, so it's well worth your time. And it goes through the story about how he got the pilots, how he put the team together, how he live streamed it, how they prepared for it, the tension of trying to break the world record. They tried to do it in 48 hours. Spoiler alert, Terry Verts is in the Guinness Book of World Records. Because there's some drama. It's not easy. They brought a crew of people because you need more than two pilots. They did everything on social media. They had technology people. They had flight attendants, which is true story because you have to eat. They had a bed. You have to sleep. They had to do fuel stops. They went to Kazakhstan, which is where he took off in the Suez when he was catapulted up to the space station where Terry Verts lived. So it shows all their fuel stops, which are like NASCAR stops. It goes through how they planned it. It goes through how they did it. It goes through who paid for it. Spoiler alert. If you want something paid for, you got to get on a flight and go to Qatar. You just have to go to Qatar. Tell them you want to do something and say, hey, I need about 20 million bucks. They'll go into their piggy bank, into their loose change drawer, give you the money and you're on your way. Terry Verts is now an IMDB director. Congratulations, Terry. One more orbit. It's pretty cool. 74 minutes worth your time. Do it. No way to segue into the next topic, Coca, because the next topic is one that uh, is difficult to even think about. Word came out yesterday that Tommy Pham, remember Tommy Pham? I saw him in spring training a lot. He played for the Cardinals. I think I'm right. He then was traded to the Padres. 
played for the Padres this season. Word came out that Tommy Pham went out in San Diego and went to the hospital because he got stabbed. Here's the story, and here's my problem. Tommy Pham was at a restaurant, may have been in the Gaslight District in San Diego, may have just been in a restaurant around San Diego, one of the most beautiful cities in the world, perfect weather. Was it really a strip club coca? Come on, man. Was it really? Now that's funny. I don't know if that's true or not, but Coca's saying he was at a strip club. Doesn't matter to me. Actually, it may change the story a slight bit. Coca, is that really true? All right, he's, t- he's telling me it's true. I've been to San Diego a ton of times. I've not been to a strip club in San Diego. I actually haven't been to a strip club in forever because once you're in baseball, it really does not, it's not a good look. In any case, so Tommy Pham leaves dinner because he was only there for the wings, quite obviously. And he's going to his car. He had not had anything to drink because otherwise he wouldn't be driving. And there are people fighting who he doesn't know near his car. He approaches the people purportedly to say, excuse me, I'd like to leave and you're fighting near my car. The next thing he knows, someone who was having the fight, he didn't know these people, stabbed him. He needed stitches. It pierced all three layers of his skin. It didn't hit one of his organs, thank God. He'll have a full recovery. He was taken to a hospital. And he's going to be okay. So Coca and I were talking about the show. And Coca correctly pointed out, there are two types of people in the world. There's one type who knows when something's wrong and tries to fix it himself and doesn't think about the consequences. And there's another type of person who knows when something's wrong and doesn't try to fix it because he understands what the consequences could be. I'm the latter. I am not a pugilist. I think I've said this on Nothing Personal before. I've never been punched in my life, and I've never thrown a punch in my life, and I've got a mouth. Do I ever? I've talked my way out of everything. I just, I'm not a big guy. You know, you, you've seen me. Five, five, a buck 25. I'm not getting into any fights. Maybe with Tom Cruise. Not even Jose Altuve. Maybe Muggsy Bogues. Negative. Nobody. So if I see people fighting, I go the other way. I call for help. If I see people fighting around my car, I'm not confronting them. As aggressive as I get is when I beep at people and get angry when they don't leave the left lane and I want to pass them because they're driving slowly. And I do this because I imagine the worst. Maybe it's my upbringing. Maybe it's my disposition. Maybe it's my composition. But mentally, I view a situation and I play it out in my mind. And where I go is all of the possible outcomes. And if there's even one negative outcome to me, I adjust my plan accordingly. Now, you could say there's a flaw in my plan because I'll get on an airplane and there's a negative outcome, or I'll get in a car or on a bicycle, or I'll do a race and there are negative outcomes to that. I understand. I'm talking about the negative outcome of me being hurt 
when there is another way to accomplish what I want to accomplish, which eliminates all chances of it happening. I can't not fly because I have to go somewhere. I can't not train and do races because I derive great pleasure from that. I don't need to interrupt people fighting or involve myself in a situation that's none of my business. If I see someone getting hurt or I see a problem happening, I will either call the police or I will call a bouncer or I'll do something where people who make decisions like Coca makes, which is to get involved with reckless indifference toward any personal harm to do what's right, I'll have them come in and save the day. It shouldn't be that people like Coca and Tommy Pham, who are merely trying to get into their car, who are merely trying to do the right thing, where they are in danger of being shot or stabbed. Why is it? The story's going to come out. We're going to find out. They're going to find the suspects. There's enough cameras outside strip clubs if they were outside a strip club. They're going to figure out who it was. I want to know why. What did he do? Come up and say, get away from each other? Did he actually come up and say, you're wrong? I'm taking the side of the guy you're fighting? My guess is he came up and said, could you get out of here? You guys are going to scratch my car. You couldn't have taken your problems to the next car or to the sidewalk or to 10 feet away. Instead, we live in a society where we think it's okay to just stab the person who's approaching you because it's his car. It's just wrong. It's the story that angered me the most yesterday. Tommy Pham, please have a full recovery. May we catch the people who did this and teach them a lesson. They need to be in jail. You do not stab people. Hard stop. Wait to see. We got a bunch of wait to sees. Here's what we do at the end of every show. And I want to go through it so you're aware of it. We give you a wait to see. I don't know what our wait to see is today. I think we went right past a coca or we moved it somewhere. But either way, we do a wait to see and then we go back. One of the things when we started Nothing Personal a year ago tomorrow, might I add, a year ago tomorrow, which is pretty amazing, Coca. We'll talk about it more in tomorrow's show, but we started this way to see, and we said, we're not going to be like the other shows. When we say something, we're going to have accountability. If we're wrong, we're going to admit we were wrong. When we're right, we're going to revisit and say we were right. We're going to be accountable. We're not just spewing crap. You're not going to agree with every one of our takes here on Nothing Personal. I just hope that you'll be educated and you'll form an opinion based on what you think with information that you now have that may be provided in small part by me and Coca on Nothing Personal. So here we go. A bunch of wait to sees have come to fruition in the past few days. All the way back on October 21st, 2019, we said Dan Quinn would not see 2020. A year ago. That's a no. He saw 2020, but damn, were we close. Dan Quinn just got canned along with the GM. How's Atlanta doing? Pretty good? Donut. See you later, Matt Ryan. The next day, there was a lot of changes with the Clippers and the Lakers. It was October 22nd of 2019, a year ago, 
we said the Clippers would win a title before the Lakers. Nope, got that wrong. Lakers won the title before the Clippers. Fast forward to July 9th, 2020. The bubble had not yet started. The NBA was about to go into a bubble. And we said there will be a positive COVID test in the bubble. I can't believe the answer to that is we got it wrong. I was wrong. Adam Silver conducted an airtight, perfect bubble. They played 172 games in that bubble, did not have one positive test. Those players were responsible. As much as a mental toll as it took, they got it done. Congratulations. I was wrong on July 9th. On July 14th, 2020, do you remember when baseball was starting? They were nine days from starting. And there were all these delays with testing. And there were spring training workouts where teams were being pulled off the field. They couldn't get the results. They were waiting to get the results. On July 14th, I said, no MLB player will ever miss a game because of testing delays. Well, testing got figured out in a hurry. And that's a yes. There have been no games missed by any MLB players because of any testing delays. Then, The NBA started on July 31st, 2020, during our show that day, the trading deadline. We had to wait to see that there will be no postponed games due to COVID in the NBA bubble. Remember, there have been postponed games in baseball, football's postponing games. We said once they're in the bubble and they get the testing figured out, they're going to figure out how to get games in or else they wouldn't have gone in the bubble. So we said no postponed games. That's a yes on that wait to see. Fast forward now to August 31st. Major League Baseball season is happening. It's the new trade deadline in Major League Baseball only in 2020 because they started late. The Padres made a bunch of moves. Everyone was all in on Tatis. Everyone was all in on that team and A.J. Preller. And I said the San Diego Padres will lose in the first round of the playoffs. I was wrong. They lost in the second round. Those damn expanded playoffs, if it weren't for the wild card round, they would have lost in the division series in my semi-humble, nothing personal opinion, but a, a loss is a loss. My wait to see did not come true. The Padres did not lose in the first round. All right, October 1st, just a couple of weeks ago, the Rays and the Yankees were playing. I said the Rays would beat the Yankees in the ALCS. They did. That's a Yes. Then I predicted every division series. I predicted the team and the number of games. I'm going to take a win if I get both right. I said the Rays would beat the Yankees in five. That's a yes. That happened. I said the Braves would beat the Marlins in four. I got the Braves right, but they won it in three, not four. I said the Dodgers would win their series. And I completely forgot who they beat. Can you imagine that? The Dodgers would win in four. The Dodgers won in three. Who did the Dodgers sweep? Unbelievable. The Padres. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, Coca. It's that kind of day. And I said the Astros would beat the Athletics in five. I got that right. So I got all four teams right, but the Astros ended up winning in four. That was the way to see from October 5th. The next day, I had a great wait to see. I said, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to go 16-0. and 
assuming no COVID. That was my caveat. What I meant to say was the Chiefs will go 16-0, and assuming they don't have to play the Las Vegas Raiders. So I'm still in it. No, I'm taking a no. The minute I did that, wait to see the Chiefs lost their next game to the Las Vegas Raiders. That wait to see didn't happen. Well, what's the wait to see for today? You know that Dak Prescott got hurt. We talked about it yesterday. Stephen Jones, Jerry Jones' son came out and said, Dak is still our future. He's going to be out four to six months only. We believe in him. He echoed the sentiments of his father. Wait to see, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, they will not sign Dak Prescott to a long-term deal. There is no reason to do it. They won't do it no matter what they're saying now. No matter what the talking heads are saying now, it's not going to happen. The reason why, it's clear, right? Now we'll get back to it. Nothing personal pick of the day. We lost. The Braves beat the Dodgers 5-1. Damn, the Braves are good. If the Dodgers don't hit and the Braves pitching stays this good, the Braves can end up beating the Dodgers, which will hurt my way to see which had the Dodgers winning that series. 26 and 19 we are for the nothing personal pick of the day. We're doing a double pick today. I want to pick both games because we got two LCS games. Let's do it. The Dodgers will tie the series. They got Clayton Kershaw going. Second pick, we got the Astros. They're down two love, two nil to the Tampa Bay Rays. The Astros are going with Urquidy. The Rays are going with Yarborough. The Rays are hot. The Rays are good. The Astros will get a game in. The Astros will win this game. I still think they could win the series. Two picks. We're 26 and 19. We're going Dodgers. We're going Astros. Tomorrow, we'll let you know how we did because I recognize when you pay attention to the picks for you, it may be business. For me, eh, it's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.